Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. We've got four weeks to talk about it, and um, uh, I, would, I, would, I would encourage you to pick it up and, and dive in. It's, it's uh, really good. But essentially, this book and in, in this study is all about looking at the book of Daniel, which is found in the Old Testament. And uh, in Daniel's time, he faced a pagan or godless culture. He was removed from his home of Israel where they honored God, the true and living God. They were exiled into Babylon, and in Babylon, the Babylonian culture tried to influence them and to make to break them and, and assimilate them into their culture, to their gods, to their ways. And Daniel and his friends refused to do that. And so they, they, they lived uh, or they stood firm and loved well, which allowed them ultimately to become influencers in their culture. And I think it's really important today that we study this particular book because it's a playbook for us today, because we are living in an increasingly godless or pagan culture today. God's being removed from everything. Everybody gets so upset. Well, this happened and that happened. It's like, well, you took God out of everything. You know, it's just like, uh, that, that's where we live. And culture is trying to get us to bow to their ways and to what they want. And I think we need to know how to respond to culture. Because more often than not, as the church, I think we respond one of two ways. The, the first way we respond is, is we have this stand firm kind of thing. We're, we're standing firm on God's truth. We know exactly what God's word says. And as a result, we get a little combative and maybe beat people over the head with it. And as a result, become ineffective. Well, then the other side, the other response to culture today is, is what well, we water down God's word. We change it. Well, that makes you feel uncomfortable. We want you to feel comfortable. So, so we'll go ahead and take those parts out of the Bible. We won't talk about them. We won't challenge you to live according to God's word. We just, just however you want to be is good, and just come on in, let's all feel good, it's nice, you know? And that, those are our two typical responses. We call this grace and truth. And I think that our response to stand firm and love well requires grace and truth together. In fact, the Bible says Jesus embodied those things. When he would encounter people that were living a life of sin, in other words, living their own way, not God's way, not God's best for their lives, Jesus would accept them, love them where they're at. He would not condemn them, but he also didn't leave them the same way he found them. He would love them where they're at and say, and go and sin no more, right? So there's grace and there's this truth. And so in this series, that's actually the first message we talked about. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to them. They're, they're available to you. Uh, and then the second message that we talked about was the Babylon mentality. Because see, this whole story of Daniel takes place in a place called Babylon. It's an actual locality. But the Bible talks about Babylon all throughout it in, in reference to a mentality. And it's a mentality that in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, it says that God is going to judge harshly. In fact, in other places in the Bible, it says that God resists this kind of mentality, and it's that mentality of pride. And so last week, we gave you some keys to surviving that because, man, you and I are both susceptible to this Babylon mentality, and you need to learn how how to be able to resist that. And so check out that message. It'll be a blessing to you. Today, I'm going to talk to you about how God has called us to stand firm. And next week, I'm going to talk to you about how we can love well. But today, I want to talk to you about how to stand firm. 
Because each and every single one of us may be called to stand firm. At some point in time, it's possible, it's not likely here in the U.S., I don't see that happening based on our current constitution and the religious freedoms that we have, but someday we may be, be called to deny God or die. Like, that, that might be the, the, the possibility. And, and even though I don't feel like that might happen here, but again, based on our current, current world government, our current government here, um, it's possible that it could happen. And, and if it does, I want you to have the courage inside of you to be able to respond and to stand firm, to be able to make that decision. Standing firm is a theme that we find all throughout our Bible. In fact, Paul said this. He said, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. That's, of course, the topic of next week. Now, I would say here in our country, we don't feel a whole lot of pressure about our faith. I mean, we've got, culture has this, the way we talk about it, and the two things we don't talk about is our faith and our politics, and so there's a little bit of social pressure there, but, but we don't really feel it on a day-to-day basis. I mean, we don't, have, we don't have fear and trepidation driving to this building or being inside here. We, we don't, we're, not, we're not afraid, right? We, we have religious freedoms today. Now, some of us feel a little bit of that pressure, like maybe we go to a restaurant and the, the food is served, and we know we should bow our heads and pray, and, and yet we go, well, I'm kind of a little intimidated, you know? I don't know if you've ever, ever experienced that before. Maybe one of the creative solutions you might have if you're feeling intimidated about the people that are in the room and praying over your meal is, is to do the, do the prayer where you keep your eyes open and you just look at the, the person across the table and, and you say your prayer to them, Jesus, bless this food. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Right? Like there's no, there's no bow under the head. There's no, there's no closing your eyes. I, I'm in particular, I don't care. I'll just bow my head and pray when the food gets served. I even don't wait on people because like I'm not going to worry about whether they're embarrassed that I'm going to pray or not. Like I just, just, just refuse to let that impact me. I don't even care if you've got that, that roll, you know, the, the, the breadstick stuffed in your mouth and you're already chewing. Hey, guys, I'm going to pray, and I'll just go for it, and, uh, and, and I'm, and I'm going to do it because uh, I, I don't care. Now, the one thing I do care about if you want to pray over your meal is holding hands. I'm not that guy, okay? If you want to pray, that's fine. But, dude, I love you, just not that way. I don't want to hold your hand around a table and and pray. You say, well, that's just lacking unity in the body. No, it's not. It's just, just stop it, okay? It's just for me. That's my preference. If you do that, that's fine. It's just not for me. But I would say, in general, we live on this low-risk end of being persecuted and having to stand firm for our faith. But there are Christians today in other parts of the world that are, that are being killed. They're being imprisoned for their faith. They're, they're having their hands cut off, and, and all kinds of things are happening around the world. You should pay attention to what's happening but I don't think that's, that's going to happen to us. But whether we face that or not, we need that kind of courage. We need to be able to stand firm. And there's two stories of this kind of courage, of this standing firm found in the book of Daniel. The first one is not our subject of the day. It's Daniel in the lion's den. If you grew up in Sunday school at all, you likely had a teacher that had a felt board that put little pictures of Daniel and the lions and stuff on there. Anybody have an awesome childhood like I did? Yeah, okay, there's a few of you. All right, so that's good. Uh, but, that, but that's not our focus today. We're actually going to look at Daniel's friends. Uh, you may know them uh, as Rack, Shack, and Benny if you ever watch Veggie Tales, but their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and, uh, and, and the story of the fiery furnace. So let's jump into it. I'm going to give you, uh, I'm just going to pretty much tell you the story. We're going to read it here. Here it goes. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Now, I just want to pause right there because you're going to see here in a second, there's an image and there's a sound. They, they, they said the image was set up. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar himself. It was an image of Nebuchadnezzar. And there was a, when the, you heard this sound, you were to bow down and worship him. And I just want you to notice that the enemy uses images and sounds to impact us, okay? To, 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 to subtly challenge us in our stances. In fact, the things that we watch and the things that we listen to are influencing us on a regular basis. And they will warp and pervert our perspective on who God is and who we are in relation to him. It'll even warp our perspective of each other. So we have to be careful what we watch, what we let into our eye holes and our ear holes, right? We've got to guard those things because it's important. The enemy will use subtleties in those things that we see and we hear. So anyway, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials, along with a partridge and a pear tree, to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So all these guys assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood it before Daniel. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do, which, by the way, culture will try to make you believe that you're commanded to do something, commanded to do what they want or else. <coughs> and they said, you must fall down, oh, excuse me, commanded to do, as soon as you hear the sound, there it is, of the horn, the flute, the zither, which, by the way, is like a guitar with 30 strings and a little box, right? The lyre, which is a small harp, a harp, a pipe, and all kinds of music. There's a joke I'm going to tell you right here. There's a guy who shows up at a costume party, and somebody asks him, what are you supposed to be? And he says, well, I'm a harp. And the guy responds, costume's too small to be a harp. And the guy looks at him and says, are you calling me a liar? Uh, that's L-Y-R-E for... Right, that went over as good as I thought it was going to. So, so when you hear all those sounds... You're supposed to fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn and all those instruments, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But there were some Jews, and this is his, his uh, leadership that's reporting to him, saying, there's some Jews whom, you, whom you've set over your affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't pay any attention to you, your majesty. They're not doing what you told them to do. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you set up. And they refused to bow. Now, here's the thing. You need to understand that in your day-to-day -day life, moment by moment, you are bowing to something. You are worshiping something. And it's important that you be intentional about what you are worshiping. Because what you are worshiping, you are becoming. It's intentional what you place in front of you. You need to be intentional about what you place in front of you to worship what is first in your life. In every area of your life, it's important. 
that you do this, that, that, that you attach that intentionality because what you worship, you are becoming. And so here's what happens after Nebuchadnezzar gets this report that these boys won't bow. He gets upset and he reacts the way the world is reacting today. Because today in culture, when we have a disagreement, we don't respond with, well, I just, I politely disagree with you. I, I beg to differ with you. We're, we're just going to have to, what, what is it, we have to agree to disagree, right? And it's, and it's peaceful. But that's not how culture is today. If you disagree with me today, I'm angry at you. And the words that you're saying are hate. We get, we get mad at each other, and that's exactly how Nebuchadnezzar responds. It says, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? He says, I'll give you one more chance. When the music plays, if you fall down and worship the statue, all will be well. But if you refuse, pause. Listen, there's going to be a moment when culture is going to challenge you to live contrary to your core beliefs, to live contrary to God's best for your life. And there's going to be a moment when you're going to need to choose to refuse. And my job is to help you be equipped for those moments. Young people, students, teens, all you 20-year-olds and above, I guess. When you're out with that boy or that girl and they want to take it a little further, you need to know how to refuse when you're on the job and somebody wants you to fudge some numbers or lie on a document, you need to know how to refuse. Men, when something pops up on the screens that you're looking at in order to honor your God and maybe honor your spouse or your future spouse or even your own body, which by the way belongs to God, you need to know how to refuse and not look at that image, not look at that movie or look at that whatever that might be. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, in all these situations, the Spirit of God will quicken you to let you know that moment that you need to refuse, and you need to know how to refuse. And I understand what we're talking about here is a dilemma. That's why this is called the Daniel Dilemma. You're going to face situations that you're going to have to make a choice in. And my hope is that you're able to make that choice to refuse, to stand firm. Watch what he says. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown into a flaming furnace within the hour. And what, can, what God can deliver you out of my hands then? Listen, when we face this situation where we refuse, we can't be afraid of the consequences that are going to come our way because greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Amen, everybody? We cannot be afraid. And you need to know this. This is the first principle about standing firm. Is that standing firm takes courage. Courage is a Latin word, and it comes from the meaning, the meaning of it is your core. It's what's at your center. It's important that, that when you face culture and they want you to bow, that you have a firm core, a core that is for God, because out of it will flow your courage. Out of it will flow your ability to take a stand. And so look back to the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not worried about what will happen to us. That came from their core. And it said, man, we got 99 problems, but a flame ain't one, right? <laughs> they're, not, they're not concerned. 
about what may happen to them. There's something they, that they have on the inside of them that is different than the one that is threatening their lives. And, and by the way, I am certain that these boys knew Nebuchadnezzar wasn't bluffing. I'm certain they knew that he was a man of his word and that if they didn't bow, they were going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. I'm not saying that they had the absence of fear. But here's what courage is. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is standing firm in spite of my fear. Plenty of us are given opportunities to stand, and yet we have fear. You say, Aaron, I'm afraid. That's okay. Do it anyway. Go with what's in your core. Take steps of courage, and you'll see incredible things happen. The next principle on standing firm is that it takes faith. Faith in what? Faith in God. Well, what about him? Faith that God is good. Faith that God is for you. Faith that God loves you. Faith that he's the God of the impossible. That he does the impossible. Faith that he can. Faith that he will. Faith that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. Faith that no matter what happens, God will use it for his glory and for your good. It's faith. It's not just this, this optimistic hope that everything's going to go well. No, it's faith in an everlasting God. It's faith. Watch these boys, what happens. They said, if we're thrown into the flaming furnace, our God's able. He's able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of your hand, your majesty. But if he doesn't. Now, I think this is part of our faith that we don't like. Because we like to tell God, hey, this is what you're going to do for me, okay? And this is the way I need it done, and this is when I need it done. All right? So, chop, chop. We like to talk to God like he's a vending machine. Like, hey, I've been good this week, so I need you to go ahead and do what I'm asking you to do. It's all conditional stuff. Well, I came to church on Sunday, and, and I've been trying real hard, God, not to cuss, and I've been trying real hard to stay off them websites and I mean, I haven't looked in a couple hours, so God, I need you to go ahead and do this for me, right? We're negotiating with him as if we're taking our quarters and putting them in and hitting A11 and getting what we want from God out of the vending machine. By the way, that makes you God and not him God, and I don't know about you, but I would make a terrible God because I'm selfish. And I bet you'd probably say the same thing too if you were being honest. We don't like this part, that even if he doesn't, that's part of our faith. That's part of who God is, that he is sovereign. That means that God gets to do whatever he wants to. But we know that even if he doesn't, that God's up to something good for us. And that even if he doesn't save us here on this earth, that he will save us from this earth and lead us into heaven. That even if he doesn't heal our bodies here on this earth, there is a day when we will be healed forever and eternity in heaven. Even if we don't have the answers today about why all this stuff went wrong in our life, there is a day when understanding will be obtained, when we will see the tapestry that God has been weaving with our lives and others. There's a day coming. A day coming. Paul said this. He said to live, he's in prison. He said to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, you know what? If I'm alive, I'm going to preach Jesus. And if y'all kill me, I get to see Jesus. So that's a win-win situation. It's this attitude of God's either going to do it here or he's going to do it there. Either way, I win. And they said, but if he doesn't, please understand, sir. I like that. That's really respectful. 
Note that they didn't beat him over the head. Note, note, note that they're not talking about his gods, calling them false gods. They're not attacking his beliefs. They're, they're standing for theirs. Watch this. That even then, we will never, under any circumstances, serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have erected. You know, faith isn't about what you're against. Faith is about what you're for. So I say as a church, let's not be against stuff. Let's not have a reputation for being against things. Let's be a church that is for something. Amen, everybody? Watch this. Because if we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. We need to be standing for things. And watch how this plays out for these boys. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and his face became dark with anger at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he commanded that the furnace be heated up seven times hotter than usual. And he called for some of the strongest men of his army to bind those boys and throw them into the fire. So they bound them with tight ropes and threw them into the furnace, fully clothed. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames leaped out and killed the soldiers as they threw them in. So those boys fell down, bound into the roaring flames. But suddenly, as he was watching, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement. And he exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we throw three men into the furnace? And they said, yes, we did, your majesty. He said, well, look, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, and they aren't even hurt by the flames. And watch this. And he says, the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Now, he had never met Jesus, but he knows him when he sees him. He says, he looks like the Son of God to me. In theology, this is what we call a theophany. This is where Jesus, of course, came to this earth, was born of a virgin, lived 33 years on this earth. He died, he resurrected, went to heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father now. But before he came to this earth, Jesus has been enthroned in heaven at the right seat of the Father since eternity past. He's been there the whole time. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. The Word was with God and the Word was God. It's the Father and the Son. They've been there the whole time. And it was through Jesus and for Jesus, all things were made. <coughs> and from time to time, we see Jesus looking at the heavenly father and saying, hey, dad, I'm going to go down there and mess with him, okay? I'm going to go down and wrestle with Jacob. And right now, I'm going to go down and mess with Nebuchadnezzar and them boys in the fire. He just appears. We don't know why, but he does. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the open door of the flame, a flaming furnace, and yelled, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Servants of the Most High God. Boy, he's changed his tune, hadn't he? he it almost sounds like he got saved. <laughs> he says, come out, come here. So they stepped out of the fire, and then the princes, governors, ca captains, and counselors crowd crowded around them and saw that the fire hadn't touched them. Not a hair of their heads were singed. Their coats were unscorched, and they didn't even smell a smoke. Listen, you know y'all can stand in the middle of culture, and it won't touch you. You, you won't even smell like them or look like them because God will rescue you out of it. You can stand firm. And standing firm requires courage and it requires faith. And the last principle of standing firm is that standing firm inspires others. You need to know that, that your courage and your faith will lead to making a difference because it will inspire others because I think oftentimes we are afraid to take a stand. I think we fear loss of relationship, loss of, of character, or we feel, we feel like there is going to be a loss. <clears throat> and so we're afraid to take a stand for our faith. The truth is, is that even if people make fun of you, even if they harass you and persecute you, 
when the proverbial poo hits the fan in their life, guess who they're going to call? You. Some of y'all are really just mad I said poo. Just don't, just don't be, okay? <laughs> Seriously. When, when they're in trouble, I've experienced this multiple times. People, people that will persecute me for my faith make fun of what I believe. But as soon as something happens in their life, as soon as something goes wrong, do you know who they call? They'll call you. They call me. <coughs> They're looking for guidance. They're looking for prayer. They're looking for God to move on their behalf. Why? Because I'm different. Because when you take a stand, you're different. Do you know that in order to make a difference, you need to be different? You can't do it otherwise. They're not going to notice anything about you that is different or that they can lean into or grab onto. We have to Take a stand. And I promise what will happen if you do is that they'll be inspired by what's in you. Watch this, what happens with King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, praise be to God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, watch this, this is fun. I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything Against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be cut into pieces. <laughs> so he got saved, but he's not really sanctified yet, right? Like, uh, sounds like King Nebuchadnezzar needed a growth track more than anybody, right? He's a work in progress. He says they get to be cut into pieces and their houses be burned, be, be, uh, be turned to piles of rubble, for no other God can save this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I'm certain that when they were refusing, when they were making their firm stand, that they felt like this was going to get them a demotion because they were already promoted. But it didn't. It inspired Nebuchadnezzar. He turned his faith towards God. And as a result, these guys got promoted even more than they had already had been. And here's the thing. I think just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God has called us to be a voice, to be a voice in this city, to be a voice in this, this country and in the world beyond. He's called us to be a voice. He's called us to be a people that live on mission, to be a people who sponsor kids in other countries, to be a people who support church plants financially and, and, and by sending people. I, I, I think we ought to be a people who live on mission, loving those that are less fortunate than us. I, I believe that God's called us to be a voice in this time. Problem is, a lot of us are spending our time being an echo and not the voice. We're echoing culture. We're reflecting it instead of standing firm and being a voice in darkness. And here's the thing. I believe God's called us to do it. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, Aaron, that's great. That's a good calling for you. I'm so excited for you. So excited for your pastoral team. So excited for for the simple church people. But no, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm telling you, that calling is for you. The calling is for you. That's why we have the growth track. We take time to help you understand how you get to be part of this army that God is building to be a voice in the darkness, to live our lives on mission. Step one of growth track tells you about how to be a member of our church and what it looks like to be, be a part of this body. Step two is, is we'll help you understand God's giftings and uniqueness that he's placed inside of you. Step three, we talk to you about your leadership because every single one of you is a leader because you have influence. 
and we'll help you understand how you can use your influence for the kingdom. And step four, we'll show you how you can join this team, how you can be part of living on mission right here at Simple Church. I know it's four Sundays. We do it during our second service. It's this one right here in the conference room. And we would love for you to join us. We would love for you to take that step. Step four is the only one I encourage you not to jump in on that one, but all the other ones you can start whenever you want to. But it's important. It's so important that you become part of being a voice and not an echo. As I wrap up today, I want to come back to one thought about about standing that we need to not be a church that's against things. We need to be a church that's for things. I'll tell you this, and this is just relevant to like this week. Kanye West dropped a new album this week. And one of the songs on his album, he says, you know, they asked me, what are church people saying about your music? What are church people saying about you? And he said, they don't want me here. Like I ain't earned my way here. They're judging me. Do you know why he would say that? because we've got a reputation for being against things. We pick it, we're against this. We're not known for what we're for. We're known for what we're against. You say, Aaron, are you telling me that Kanye West is somebody we should support? I don't know. I don't know that man's heart. But I'll tell you what. If he's for my God, and he wants to use his influence over millions of people's lives, to introduce them to Jesus and the love that God has for him? Well, I'm not for Kanye, but I'll link arms with him and I'll be for our God. We need to be a people that are for some things. And there, there's, a, there's lots of things that we can stand for, and I'm gonna give you a few of them really quick. The first one, there's just three quick ones that, that we can be for, that we can stand in, is that we can stand in prayer. It's important that we do. You have an opportunity tonight at 6 o'clock. Come join us. Stand in prayer with us. You need to do this on your own, but you also need to do it. It's good when we do it corporately. There was multiple times that the church was together and was praying, and God moved on their behalf because they were in one accord. That means they were in unity, praying together. Come tonight at 6 o'clock. Whether you know how to pray or not, come. Be, be a part of prayer. The other thing about prayer is I think, I think culture has grabbed a hold of prayer. Has, has told us we, we ought to be quiet. It's my quiet time every day, just me and Jesus. It's my quiet time. Talk to people about prayer, and they're like, well, I, I've never prayed out loud before, but Jesus knows my heart. And so when I pray, I pray like this. You're doing your shopping list in your head. You ain't got no biblical support for praying that way. Jesus said, when you pray, say. There's biblical support for that. It's talking to God. It's speaking. He's a speaking God. We're made in his image. Let's speak. Let's pray. It's not supposed to be our quiet time. We said, well, the Bible says to be still and know. Yeah, he said, be still, not be quiet. Let, let, let's, let's grab a hold of prayer. Let's reclaim it. We don't have to shout it from the top of our lungs, but there ain't no reason to hide it. There's no reason to be ashamed of what you're praying and how you're talking to God and what you're talking to him about. There shouldn't be any shame in this room at all. Prayer is, is one of those things that is not passive. It is aggressive. And it can be loud. Look what Paul said. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's aggressive. 
He says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, guess what you're going to do? You're going to stand some more. And stand firm in prayer. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys, I, I will pray with you anywhere, anytime. I don't care. If you tell me you're going through something, we're having a conversation. And you're just telling me about what's going on in your life and the decisions that are ahead of you. I did it in first service here. Somebody was just sharing with me. I said, well, let's pray. Grabbed him by the shoulders and just bowed my head and did it. I'm not asking your permission. Prayer is a part of who I am. I want to stand in it. I've prayed with people at work at, at gyms, at, at grocery stores, parking lots. I don't care. I'm not afraid of you. I'm going to stand firm. But I'm going to pray. And I would challenge you to be that kind of people too. You say, well, I do probably, you know, people tell me stuff and I'm like, bless your heart. I'll pray. I'm, I'm praying for you. How about you pray now? Let's be a church that prays now. Let's be a people that is not afraid. Well, I don't know the words. You don't need to. You just need to know God. Let's pray. I'm going to pray with you. I love that. I'm encouraging you. Stand in prayer. Come tonight, 6 o'clock. Second thing you can do, stand for your purpose. You know, all of hell is trying to keep you from doing just that. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and the thing he wants to destroy most is your ability to make an impact in this world. Destroy your purpose. He'll tell you that you're not worthy. He'll tell you that you're no good. You'll have a tough week. You might be struggling with something. And you say, well, Aaron, I, I, just, I just can't. I'm, well, well, let me tell you something. If you're struggling, if you feel unworthy, welcome to the club. We all do in some way, shape, or form. All of us are unworthy. Jesus is what makes us worthy. It's not about you. It's about the living God that's on the inside of you. You have a purpose to live out. Paul says this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. He's letting you know there's stuff that's going to try to move you. There's stuff that's going to try to make you bow down. Your response, don't be worried. Don't complain. Don't try to control it. It's out of your hands anyway. No. Paul says, hey, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff that is in vain. Worry is one of them. Worry doesn't get you anywhere. It just gives you something to do. It's like a rocking chair. It's also a trap. It's another message for another time. No matter what happens, stand firm in your purpose. Get to doing what God said to do. No matter what. And the last one, you can stand for God. And you can stand for him because he stood for you. He stood for you. In fact, the Bible says while we were yet sinning, Jesus died on the cross. It says that God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I love you guys. I've got three kids, and I wouldn't give any of them for you. I mean, there are some days I feel like I could. I mean, I just, there's days I understand why animals eat their young, you know. But, but on a regular basis, there's, there's, there, there's no way I would give up one of my kids for you. But that's what God did. He gave his son. And he sent his son to do something brutal. Something his own son in the garden prayed, Hey, Dad, can we find another way to do this? But, but your will be done and not mine. Do you know why he did that? Do you know why Jesus prayed that? Do you know why the Father sent him? Do you know why the Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross? The answer to all those questions is you. He did that for you. He stood for you. And I would say that in response, our only reasonable response to that is to stand for 
him. In fact, Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before others, I'll acknowledge you in heaven before my Father. But there's a harsh response to that. He said, if you don't, if you don't do that, if you don't acknowledge me before others, I will not acknowledge you before my Father. The message paraphrase says it this way, stand up for me against world opinion, and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. We need to stand. Stand firm in prayer. Stand firm in our purpose and stand for God. So one final thought I'll give you and, and I'll, I'll wrap up is that, you know, Jesus came to this earth, he died, he resurrected, he went to heaven. The Bible says he's seated next to the Father on the right hand. And that before he came, he, he was seated there in heaven on the right hand. We don't know why he's in this seated posture, but there's one time, one time in the Bible we see him stand. And I just want to share this with you because I think it's an interesting thought. After Jesus left, the disciples began spreading the gospel and spreading the good news about Jesus. And there was a man named Stephen who was among them. The Bible says he was a good man, full of faith, that he, he healed people, went around doing good just like Jesus did. And the religious leaders of the day did to him what they did to Jesus. They falsely accused him and they, were, they dragged him out of the city. They tied him to a post and they stoned him, threw rocks at him until he died. But before he died, the Bible says that Stephen, full of the Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And watch this. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus does stand on occasions. And it's when you stand. And I'll say it this way. When I stand, Jesus stands with me. Let's pray. Father, today my, my prayer is that you would give us courage. That from the very core of our hearts, our faith in you, that we would stand. And that we would stand, and as we stand, we would stand with grace. That we would stand in love. That we would stand with faith. That we would be filled with that. So that as we stand, we can stand and inspire others around us. Lord, let us stand like Stephen stood. Let us stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let us stand for you. And right now, across this room, with every head bowed and every eye closed, there are those of you that need to take a stand today. I'm not asking you to physically stand up, but in a moment, I'll give you an opportunity to take a stand by lifting your hand. And, and here's, here's what I'm asking you to stand for. I'm asking you to stand for God. I'm asking you, for those of you that are far from God, say, I, I, I need to come home. Whether you've ever had a relationship with God or not, this is your moment to take a stand and say, I'm, I'm coming home. I'm going to return to God's ways. I'm, I, I'm, I'm tired of doing this on my own. I need him. I need all that he offers me. I need a full and fulfilled life here on this earth. I want to walk out my purpose. I want to make a difference in other people's lives. And I want to have eternity in heaven with Jesus. I want to have faith at the core of my being so I can stand firm, love well. If that's you and you're here today and you're ready to make that stand, would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. I'm going to make a choice today. Today's my time. Go ahead and slip your hand up. Be bold. God was bold for you. Be bold. Thank you. Thank you. Church, let's pray together, everybody out loud, so that nobody prays alone. Say, Jesus, I'm taking a stand. 
I'm standing for you. Today I ask you to forgive me. Make me brand new. And show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for this brand new life. Amen.